on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Aaron Colvin joins us for an interview. We talked to Aaron about his time at Oklahoma and his NFL career up to this point. Also, OU's 2021 football schedule is set, so we break it down and give you some of our initial thoughts in the National College Football Roundup. We discuss the possibility of the dead period being extended again and how that could affect Oklahoma football. We finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Oh, man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, February 15th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride at Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC Difference Program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or Raptor and come see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFordofOKC.com for more information or go to the dealership and tell them we sent you. Now we're recording this on Sunday night. Just a reminder, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star review and comment with what guests you would like to have on the podcast. We've got Aaron Colvin on this episode and Teddy, it is a, it's kind of a deep conversation. Let's just be real, like a very, a very blunt, real conversation about the ups and downs of his NFL career. No, and it's good. I mean, it, you know, you, you never really hear about the, uh, the behind the scenes and what's going on with the guy mentally and, and even physically fighting through it's, Usually it's just where there's a lot of money, things have to be a hundred percent perfect. Right. And, you know, he dives into some of that and things aren't always as, as rosy as they appear. So I, I thought it was fantastic. It's, it's good to hear someone just like really expand and, and keep it real on some of those, those situations that you never even really think about. Yeah. So uh, I think y'all all really enjoy that. hope everyone is staying safe this weather sucks, Teddy. Like you had to leave Mexico early to get back. I know. I'm yeah, sorry, I, man. Yeah. It, 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 this weather sucks so bad that we had to leave the beautiful beach 
to come back into this weather, like to get here before it. That's how bad it is, is that if we didn't leave when we did, we weren't going to be able to get back. So, yeah, incredibly frustrating. You never want to bail on a vacation, and but you also don't want to leave your house whenever it's like everything can go wrong whenever it's this cold. So it that's the only way to put it. It sucks. So instead of spending Valentine's Day with your wife – on the beach in Mexico, you spin it cooped up in your house, trying not to freeze. Gabe, if you hadn't have brought that up and put it on the rundown, we wouldn't have even known it was Valentine's Day. Between moving flights and traveling and worried about the pool and worried about the pipes and is our water meter frozen and all of the different – getting our son and it just – is the dog, can we get the dog from the, from the kennel? Do we, should we go get him now? Should we get him? It's like, I didn't even realize it was Valentine's day. So that's how my life's going right now. Well, my wife realized, and she also told me to, so we have one Valentine's day tradition and we go eat at Tucker's here in Oklahoma city. It's we, we did it on our first Valentine's day. We've done it every one since it's like, it's tradition. Right. Well, she tells me, she's like, okay, you need to order it at like two because they're going to, they're going to close at three. Right. That's when stuff's about to get bad on Sunday. So I'm like, okay. So I didn't call till two ten, which is very unlike me. And I was informed that they were closing and that they would not be able to do my pickup order. It did not go well for me. From that point on, Ted, but don't worry, we're going to, we're still going to go here in the next couple of days. Like the tradition (laughs) will continue, but yeah, I did not do myself any favors. Oh no. Yeah. No, not good. Did you explain the uh, severity of the situation to the person on the other line? I, do you want to know what I actually said to him? (laughs) I said, well, what? why do you, why do you want my wife to hate me? That's what I said. I go, why do you want my wife to hate me? And the guy goes, excuse me, sir. What? I was like, my wife is going to be pissed at me. Like I will get there. Just can, can you not just make the burgers and I'll, I'll get there. It's like, I'll throw that. I'll throw it in mountain climber mode or whatever I got to do. I, I will get there just and it. They were uh, like, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we have to leave. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about OU football so that I, Oh gosh. Okay. Oh, you football schedule came out. Right. So, and it's, it, it is interesting. Oklahoma's 2021 schedule starts with nine straight games before they get there by, uh, which will be the weekend of November 6th. So that nine game stretch starts at Tulane. Then the Sooners get Western Carolina and Norman they get Nebraska in Norman. They get West Virginia in Norman. So you get three home games back-to-back-to-back right there. Then they go on the road in Manhattan the week before OU Texas and Dallas. Then they have TCU in Norman, the Jayhawks in Lawrence, and Tech at home before they finally get to that bye week. Finish the season going to Waco, hosting Iowa State, and then Bedlam is in Stillwater this season. Teddy, when, when you look at it, uh, you, you're usually pretty quick to judge a schedule at a glance. What What are your initial thoughts? Because it, it does feel pretty balanced for OU. It does. Um, 
you know, I, I, it is fascinating, you know, the end of the schedule is really whatever, because of the nature of the big 12 and we play the true round Robin and we know we're going to get a rematch in the big 12 championship. We always look to the, you know, the November lineup and whenever you see at Baylor, Iowa State, Iowa State at home, and then at Oklahoma State. I mean, I have. I think there's a decent chance that Baylor and Iowa State may be two of the tougher teams that you play next year, and to have them in November, and we'll see what Oklahoma State is, um, we'll see what Texas is, but that's going to be a tough back-to-back late in the season. And we really haven't seen that. They've tried to avoid that for the most part. Yeah. I look at that Iowa State game, right? They're in November. I don't love where that game is. And it's not like I'm worried about OU. Like, OU's going to have better players than Iowa State, even though Iowa State's got all those guys back. Like, OU's still more talented. They get them in Norman. The reason I don't like it is from a Big 12 perspective. When you look at it, I, I want there to be meaningful games in November, right? I, I think that's what we all want. But if you're the Big 12 Conference and, and you feel like these are your two best teams, these are the teams that are most likely going to be playing in the Big 12 Championship game, well, then why would you schedule this game that late in the season? Because if you think those are going to be the two teams in the championship game, well, they're going to be playing two games in three weeks. And also one of the reasons I don't like it is if they played it earlier in the season, no matter who wins or who loses, like the team that loses would have time for that loss to kind of fade away in the minds of the college football playoff committee. We know that that happens. Right. So maybe if it happens earlier in the year, then the team that loses maybe gets a little grace from the college football playoff committee. So I, I don't love the timing of that game. I know you want those games late in the year to be important, but I, it feels like those are definitely the two favorites in the Big 12 next year. And to put that game that late in the season, I'm not a huge fan of that, Ted. No, I agree 100%. Um, Two years ago when we played Baylor in Waco in that crazy game with Jalen Hurts and then in the Big 12 championship, I feel like I feel like that was the perfect timing. I think that game was like November 7th. Like the it was like the first weekend in November, and it gave you the chance to say, wow, what a great game. I hope we have a rematch of that, but it also gave enough time between that game and the big 12 championship for, you know, Baylor to build themselves back up to where they were a true top 10 contender. And, you know, who knows what would happen, you know, winter goes in or not. I don't know if Baylor would have made it, but it's, you would like a little bit more time. That seems like it's cutting it incredibly close for what, I mean, Let's be honest. They look at the schedule, and since they've reentered this format of the championship game, they schedule their two best teams away from each other late in the year. 
That's why whenever Oklahoma State's going to have a good year, we don't play on Thanksgiving. They move it. Oh, well, this year it's different. Well, no one ever says why, but it's because they think they're going to be better and there's a chance they could make it to the, the championship game. So, I mean, you thought that that would be the case this year with Iowa State. I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to see if like, – is there any reason Oklahoma would push back on that? I don't think so. I mean, I think you'd rather have Iowa State early than late this next year, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's thoughts that Texas is going to be really good and they don't want to stagger a game there. I don't know. I can't answer other than it's strange that it's that late. Whenever yeah. Those are the two most likely teams to play. Yeah, it's November 20th in the Big 12 championship games, December 4th. Like, I, I, I just don't understand it. I, I don't think that – I don't think that the conference is setting itself up for success that way. Uh, I think they could have done themselves some more favors, you know, putting that game early November, even late October, right, to give – whoever loses that game a little more wiggle room to get back into the college football playoff picture, uh, heading into a big 12 championship game. Now a lot has to work out for uh, that to happen, but don't love that. Also don't exactly love the trip to Manhattan right before OU Texas. Right. I mean, with what has happened against Kansas state, the last two seasons and them having Skylar Thompson back, I know they got a lot of holes to fill, on both sides of the ball, but you talk about a dangerous spot. People want to say it's a letdown game or it's a trap game. There's no way in hell though, that it can be a trap game when you've lost to the team, the last two seasons, like the Sooners will be ready to roll for that game, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Cause Manhattan is, it's not easy to play there. It's just not. I know. I mean, Part of me says they're going to be ready to roll. The other part of me says, you know, are they going to go in there a little bit like antsy, a little bit nervous, a little bit of there's no way we can allow this to happen again and maybe you tighten up more than you typically would. I mean, I think they'll go in there confident and play great football, but, you know, they do get Skylar Thompson back, and that team is a different team whenever he's playing quarterback. Kansas State is. No doubt. Yeah, so that's that's not going to be easy. I know Chris Kleiman, his group, had a bit of a disappointing season, especially once Skylar Thompson went out last year. They just weren't the same team. Will Howard, you know, did did some decent things, mostly with his legs, right? But you know it's going to be a physical game. You know it's going to be a style that, you know, it it's just not something that OU sees a ton of, right? some of the things that Kansas State does offensively. That is going to be a sore team heading into the Cotton Bowl. I mean, that's just it. That's one thing you always know when you're going to play K-State is that it's going to hurt. So is it ideal? No, but uh, I don't know where uh, I don't know where else you would want that game. Uh, but But the schedule, when you break it, in half, it does look balanced from, you know, kind of playing the good teams uh, equally distributed if you just split it right in half. Or am I, I, the one thing I don't know is like, is Nebraska going to be any good at all? Or is that just going to be one of those games where it's the middle of the third quarter and we're all going, okay, this, this thing's been over for a while. Like I, yes, I, 
Okay. <laughs> I hope it's that way, kind of, because West for I think West Virginia is going to be a much better football team. And that little that's a sneaky little back to back there, like all the hype and the build up for the Nebraska game, and then getting West Virginia in the conference opener in the next week. Now it is in Norman, so that's helpful, but that could be a a, a tricky little back to back right there. No, it is. Uh, you know, we obviously didn't get to play West Virginia last year, but had a really good defense. They're going to lose some guys. Uh, but, you know, the real meat and potatoes of that football team, other than Stills, is, is coming back. So I expect them to be a really good team that's gotten better and better under Neil Brown. Um, I, I, I did bring up that November 20th slate of games. And I got to think that the reason they put that game there is it will be by far the most premier game in all of college football. I mean, there's, there's no one else. Uh, Penn State, Ohio State play on Thursday, I think. Is that right? Or maybe that's the week before. But there's, there's nothing. Georgia's Charleston Southern, Alabama, oh, Arkansas. So that's, now maybe, that's the cupcake week for the SEC? Yeah, it's, it's pretty down across the country. There's um, there's really not anything in the Big Ten either. Wisconsin, Nebraska is maybe the biggest game there. Uh, so I think that's like they said, hey, here's our chance to have the premier spotlight in the country maybe. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking game day, two top ten Big 12 teams. I don't know. But there has to be some reason that they would put it that late, you know? Yeah, maybe – we're not the smartest guys, so maybe we're just missing something really obvious, but I don't know. I I don't love – I still don't love where that where they put that game. Okay, Ted, let's Agreed. move on to call your shot, and we asked you all your thoughts on the 2021 OU football schedule, and we got a couple good ones. Our man, the Wizard, is back. At OU underscore Morgan yes. said – we are going to go 12-0. and 0. Offense will be top five. Defense will once again be in the top 15. A P.S. We're not losing a playoff game this year. Lincoln goes to one and four in the playoffs. Who wins the championship? We'll see. Welcome wow. back, the Wizard. Welcome back. High um, expectations from our man, the Wizard. Yeah, I agree with that. Very high expectations. Um, undefeated. Okay. I mean, I feel like that's the expectation every year at this I, point. That's right? what I was about to say is like, is there, do I see anyone our, on our schedule that is as good of a football team as Oklahoma? No. I would take Oklahoma against every one of those opponents. Obviously, uh, full strength, no one suspended, no one injured, both teams at their best. I think Oklahoma's better than everyone else. Now, as we know, it just doesn't play out that year uh, or that way every year. Rarely does it ever play out that way. But, okay, I mean, I think they got a shot of, of going undefeated. But I would say most likely an October game against someone that we don't expect to lose to will be – I mean, that's been the, that's been the story recently or right. maybe always. I don't know. Uh Another good one comes from Tyler Burton at Tyler Burton seven, who says big 12 did owe you no favors by scheduling their two toughest road games, K-State and Baylor. 
the week before both Texas and Iowa State. This team has the talent to run the table, but Sooners have their work cut out for them. Do you think that's true? Do you think that's their two toughest road trips? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. I think Manhattan seems to be always difficult. And then I guess that's the only other one really that we have, I mean, is, is Manhattan, but yeah, probably probably Baylor and Oklahoma state. Sure. I, I mean, I'll agree with that at that point in the year in a rivalry game. Sure. Tyler Burton has absolutely no respect for Tulane. What is wrong with you guys? Respect of what? <laughs> Green Wave? It's going to uh, be a yes, fun trip. That's right. Hopefully. Hopefully. No, it will be. Right, though? Oh. I mean, do you think that's right? Two toughest road games? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I always say it's really, really difficult to play at Kansas, that that's the hardest place to play because it is like playing in a morgue, but their team's going to be awful. So, yeah, I I guess when you look at it, I, I you would assume that depending on how Oklahoma State plays, like going and playing Bedlam in Stillwater late in the year with some of the things that have happened in that game in the past, that that would be a tougher game than going to Baylor. But I, I don't know. it. Who's going to have the better team next year, Baylor or Oklahoma State? I I guess you could make the argument that it could be Baylor, but that's one of those we, – we probably won't know it until we see both of those teams for a couple of games who's going to be a tougher out for OU. I mean, I expect Baylor's defense to be legit next year. Right. Offensively, now, that I can't tell you. I mean, if, if they still can't figure anything out at the quarterback position, then it's going to be difficult for them, but they're going to be, they're going to be stellar on the defensive side. Petrie's back. Your guy. No, nah, he's – dude, he's a beast. He's okay. a beast. The, the big backer is a beast. What, 44? They got some players on that defensive yeah. side of the ball. And you, you would expect them to continue to get guys. All right, with Dave Aranda being there, I mean, they're going to get guys. Okay, let's move on to our interview with Aaron Colvin. But first, let's talk money. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And don't forget to go buy some rock and roll tequila. Rock and roll tequila is the ultra premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com. Or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. 
Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. It is our pleasure to be joined by one of the best defensive backs in the history of Oklahoma football. He has now played seven years in the National Football League, and since it is public record, he's made over $23 million. My God, that's a lot of money. Aaron Colvin, how we doing, buddy? Yo, 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 what's good? Appreciate y'all letting me come on. Money Colvin. Just call him Money chill. Colvin from now on. <laughs> chill, please. We, chill. we called him Slick for a long time. He goes by AC. He goes by you, – you got a lot of nicknames, but, man, it, it's been a long time, I feel like, since I've seen you. But th- this is one of the cool things about having the podcast and kind of how Zoom has – taken off i just get to catch up with guys that i haven't seen for like seen in years it, it is so much fun yeah man this zoom thing is my clutch in a lot of regards i mean we used it big time in the nfl so i didn't even know anything about zoom until this year i don't think anyone did so how was that i mean take us through kind of the entire year and how crazy it was trying to prepare for teams trying to learn a playbook trying to um, you know, learn teammates that you never really met face to face. I mean, had to have been a crazy year. Yeah, man, it was definitely a different experience. Um, some good, some bad. I mean, for a lot of guys, they got a chance to spend more time with the family and have the meetings at home. So it was more comfortable. But like for me, my family stayed in Dallas. So I would go home to the hotel and just be there by myself all day and it's kind of tough because you don't really get the camaraderie with your teammates. You don't get to spend time with your team. And that's that's one of the best parts about being a part of a team or, you know, playing football. So um, it was some good, some bad. But, I mean, the NFL did a great job of keeping us safe. And uh, we didn't really have any worries. I mean, we had to take COVID tests every day, but it was part of it. Getting ready for teams, man, it was the same. Honestly, you just watch film. You still have the same meetings. It's just over Zoom. So, um in that regards, it wasn't too bad. It was just not being with your, with your brothers, really. So I I definitely want to dive into the entirety of your NFL career because it, it really is interesting. Some ups, some downs. But how was this season in particular for you? Not, not just from the protocol standpoint, but you were there in Washington. You guys had a good football team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. That group played at a really high level. Did, did you enjoy the season in Washington? I know you'd been there before in the previous year, but was it was it a fun year for you? And um, honestly, it was, man. Um, I had a, a rough time in Houston a few years back. So coming up to Washington last year or the year before last, um, I just felt free, man. I felt that peace, even though I didn't play like I wanted to and I haven't played like I wanted to the past few years. Um, it's just been awesome to to get to know that team. And Coach Ron Revere and his staff, man, they they do a great job and they run the organization like like real professionals. And 
I mean, I have nothing but good things to say about that organization in my experience. I know there's been some controversy going on, but as far as Coach Rivera and um, Coach Chris Harris, who was my DB coach, uh, Coach Jack Del Rio, who's an, an honest, blunt coach, but that's what you want, man. It was it was dope, man. I had a great time, and I had a great time with my teammates and just seeing them grow and trying to help them build to get to where they want to be. So it was dope. So kind of take us back to – like Gabe was, was talking there, wanted to, to talk about your entry into the NFL – you know, you were rated one of the, what, the third or fourth best corner coming out. And you went to the Senior Bowl and had that setback. And you slipped a little bit in the draft, but still got drafted by, by Jacksonville. Talk about that whole, that whole situation and, and what that was like to go through. Because I'm sure that was difficult thinking that, hey, man, I'm going to be drafted really high as, as maybe the third or fourth corner. Maybe I even play myself here at the Senior Bowl into a better spot than that having that setback and then having to battle through. Yeah, man, honestly, that whole situation was probably top three toughest situations I've ever had to deal with in my life. And um, just not to say I came from this just terrible situation. and um, I grew up without a silver spoon or nothing like that, but um, I had an opportunity to change not only my life, but my family's life. And, I was excited about that. I was excited to be able to step into the NFL on a big stage. And um, I knew that I would dominate once I got to this level. It was just a matter of when I would go, how much money I would make, and where would I be. And uh, for all of that just to be kind of stopped and halted just, just like that without any of my control, it was it was tough, man. And um that injury in particular, I'm a, I'm a fast healer, so I build a lot of scar tissue. So when I tore my ACL and I was trying to come back, uh, I had a lot of scar tissue built up. So I, I didn't really have the flexion and extension that I needed. So uh, I had to fight through that. I had to fight through the mental aspect of trying to come back. I had to fight through the aspect of proving that I still had it in the tank. And guys already didn't think I could run. So when I had that injury, that even set me back another step as far as NFL evaluators or whatever you want to call them. But yeah, that, that situation was hard, man. But I'm, I'm very thankful that I went through that situation. Um, that situation built me into what, who I am today. And uh, it made a man out of me, honestly. And um, to be able to end up in Jacksonville, and I played there for four years, that was an incredible experience. So I, would, I wouldn't change a thing. Well, I would because I was there at the Senior Bowl with you, and I was sad yeah. as shit when you went down. I, I, I'll never forget it, man, I, because you know someone tapped me. It was like, "Hey, your your boy is down." I was like, "What do you mean?" Because you know we were there together. We had the same agent, right, at the time, and I, I was like, well, "What happened?" And I, I I just go over to AC, and he's like, "Dude, I tore my, tore my ACL." I was like, "Wait, what?" And I just remember it so vividly because you had had such good practices up to that point that like you had even thought about maybe I don't need to practice anymore because I'm playing so well. <laughs> and it was, it was heartbreaking. I know you, you look at it now, you've got seven years under your belt and you made a ton of money, you know, played on great teams, all that thing, but you have to sometimes just think about how that kind of altered your path. Right. Yeah, man. First and foremost, I appreciate you, G, for the words. But um, 
Yeah, I do. And I struggle with it. And my wife does a great job of kind of keeping me in check and keeping my eyes forward. Um, but sometimes I think like, man, how different would my life have been if I wouldn't have gotten hurt? Like, I truly believe. Um, and this might come across as, as cocky or however you want to put it. But I do believe I would have been one of the best, if not the best in the NFL, if I wouldn't have got hurt. That's just what my mindset was at. And um, for that situation to happen at the time it happened, it was tough. And honestly, when I got hurt and came off the field, the only the first person I saw was you. And I think you were going against Aaron Donald or something in the one on one. Oh, and God. <laughs> yeah, the only person that had it worse than you at that hey, moment. Was hey, Dave. hold on. Hold on. I, I, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go check on my guy. I'll be back. <laughs> no, nah, man, but I'm sure you did your thing, bro. You was a beast, too. But. Man, honestly, yeah, I do think about it. And like I said, I struggle with it. And uh, and I mean this wholeheartedly because I don't just take the game of football as a game. I don't just take away the money I've made. I don't just take take away from the game the plays that I've made. I take away life experiences. And that whole situation has truly helped me to become the man, the son, the father, the the brother, the friend that I need to be. And um, it's a lot harder to put into words than it actually did for me, but it really did a lot for me, man. And I I really needed that. It humbled me. I don't believe that I would have been ready to take on that amount of money, um, that amount of hype at that time. I think I still needed some some, uh, maturation, however you want to – I don't know how to say the word, but I still needed to mature. And I think that that did it in a lot of of ways. That is interesting, man, whenever you think about – uh, guys that, especially guys that come out early that are, you know, 20, 21 years old, first round picks, just get dumped, you know, $30 million or however much. It's like, you don't know who to trust. You don't know what you're doing. So that is, that is a good way to look at it, that you just kind of dip your toe and build up to be able to uh, know what to do with, with, with that amount of money. So take us into that. So uh, you go to Jacksonville and, what you start off, did you start off the, your first year there on the pup list and then slowly work yourself in and then talk to us about how you ended up being a starter there and just how, how it just developed into you getting that opportunity as a big free agent? Yeah, so when I got there, um, they placed me on the pup list. So that means I had to sit out for the first, at least the first six to ten weeks, I believe it was. So uh, when we got to about week eight um, of the season, they wanted to see if I could practice. I guess I looked good enough in my rehab to um, try to practice. So I did that first day. They had me doing one-on-ones with Allen Robinson. Um, Gus Bradley was really big on matchups and competition. And every, I believe it was every Thursday, we would have a one-on-one day. So you would be matched up with somebody the whole day. You had to follow him the whole day. Um, you had to go against him in every drill. And they put me against Allen Robinson my first day. And I think it was a test. I felt like I didn't do too great because my level of expectation was the same before my injury. So when I came back, I just expected to lock them down. And that definitely didn't happen. And so the next day, um, the coaching staff was just so happy with me. They was happy with how I was moving. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm really not ready. You know what I mean? But the, the competitor in me just said, hey, suck it up, fight through it you'll find a way, it'll be okay. So um, I finished that week of practice, Um, didn't play that week. They didn't activate me yet. But the next week I had like a strain in my hip flexor. I think it was just from overcompensation. 
And so I had to miss another like two weeks. And then that like last week, the fourth week, I believe it was week 12. I'm not sure, but um, they felt like I was good and I thought I was cool to play. So I played, didn't really do anything. I think we played the Colts. Uh, the next week we played the New York Giants. And that was the week after Odell made that one-handed catch. And so I get out there, they start me that game, but I'm playing nickel, but Odell's in a slot like the whole game. So I'm like, cool, you know what I mean? Like we're getting back to it a little bit. Had a solid game. And uh, I made a, a play late in the game that gave us the lead. And it was like our second win of the season or something crazy. So all the hype's going around and um, people are excited. I'm excited. I'm back playing. But after that, it was kind of history, man. And Gus Bradley and his staff, they put their trust in me. They allowed me to play. They allowed me to grow and get back to uh, some type of normalcy in this play. So, uh, man, I'm very appreciative of them. The next year, my second year, I start outside and inside. So I'm playing back both. The third year, they draft Jalen Ramsey and pick up some other free agents. So I go back to inside, and that's kind of how that was. Yeah, you look at and you go through the coaching change right there in Jacksonville. But when I when I went back and I was looking at it, AC 2017 seemed like almost a breakout year for you. And I know that corners they like to be the guy on the outside, but when you guys had Jalen Ramsey and AJ Bouye, it I thought you really thrived in that nickel role. I mean, you were people were arguing whether or not you were the best nickel in the league at that point in time with the way you were playing that season. Uh, that's the year you guys probably should have beat the Patriots probably should have gone to the Super Bowl. But what, what was that year like for you to have that much individual success as well as team success? Because uh, that's all you're looking for as a pro player, right? To play well yourself and to win games. Yeah. Um, that 17 season was definitely magical, man. And to play with the, that group of guys was it's something that I'll never forget and I'll always be appreciative of. That year for me individually, those guys made me look good, man. Like Jalen and AJ Beast, they arguably had probably the best year as any corner in the league that year. Um, to Sean Gibson, Barry Church at safety. They made my job a lot easier. They were definitely the brains behind the defense. And then, I mean, Telvin Smith, he was one of my best friends. So his energy was just so infectious. It made us all step up our game to a level that I don't think anybody knew we possessed. And then the D-line was incredible, man. That D-line made us look good in the secondary. So it was not really me, man. I was just kind of doing my job, just making tackles here and there whenever they presented themselves with, them, them dudes made it easy for me, bro. So uh, that year was awesome. I thought we had a Super Bowl team. I thought we were maybe a piece or two away from winning a Super Bowl. But, you know, I think there was a lot of factors that went into that whole situation why I didn't go back. But I think um, a lot of it can be traced back to my ego. And like you said, I just wanted to be respected as a corner because I knew I could play with the, with the top dogs. But um, – you know, I wanted my role to expand, and I knew it was going to be limited there in that role, but it is what it is. You live and you learn. Well, you got the opportunity. Um, Houston Texans came calling. Walk us through that the whole free agent process in, 
And what was that like to be able to cash in on, on a great year? I mean, you knew going into 17, right? This is it. I've got to have a great year. You put in the work. You did have that great year. And here's your opportunity. Like, just walk us through what it's like to be courted, to go through that whole process and, and sign a big-time contract. Yeah, Teddy, like you said, man, just to be courted and um, to see your hard work pay off, it meant a lot. And to have an opportunity to go back to near my hometown or my, my, my home state, it was big for me. And my wife is from Dallas, so we were back in Texas. We could be around family. I never played the game for money. I never wanted to make the big contracts. I've always just kind of played for respect which I found that that's kind of futile too. Like that really is empty. You don't need to chase respect. You just need to be who you are. But um, I felt like I had the opportunity to finally be respected. You know, the guys who get paid are the ones who are seen as a top tier player. So I was like, cool, man. Now I can really go out here and flourish. And honestly, man, I'm going to just be honest with y'all. When I got there the first day, I just knew I made a mistake and I just knew it wasn't it wasn't it. It wasn't the right fit um, for some reasons that are kind of deeper than the surface of what I can tell you guys, man. It was just it was tough from day one. And so when I got there, I was just like, man, this ain't this ain't what I expected it to be. And so uh, I get there, but I'm paid. You know what I mean? My family's comfortable. Everybody's <laughs> Yeah, you are. <laughs> Everybody's comfortable. But like I said, man, like I just never really cared about the money. So though I was making money, though my people were comfortable, though I could do things that, you know, I wanted to do, I wasn't necessarily happy. So uh, it was tough, man, but it was a blessing as well. And I took a lot of good from that situation too. Yeah, you, you look at the deal. You signed there in Houston, right? Uh, four years, $34 million, $18 million of it guaranteed. I, I, I was so stunned. And, and, and this was kind of the first, because I, I hadn't really known anyone that had played for the Texans, right? And this was kind of the first indication that there was something weird within that organization, right? A after that Monday night football game, you're in your second year of the deal, Right, and it was almost like they used you as a scapegoat for what happened at the end of the game. Like I, I was so confused when they released you. Like, I, I know it's probably, you know, a painful memory, but what, what was that like, man? Going, going through that. Man, gee, I honestly can't even describe it to you, bro. Like, I had already fought through so much my first year, and then going into that off season, I just had a huge chip on my shoulder. And I don't know if I've ever worked that hard to it almost felt like I was trying to prove the organization wrong when I felt like I should have been proving them right. And um, so Brian Gaines was the GM whenever I signed with the Texans. Uh, I clearly was his guy. And when they fired him after his first year there, I kind of felt like I was just there. You know what I mean? I wasn't necessarily wanted. And so. Uh, we go into that season, man. I had a I had a really good camp. I felt like maybe not to other people, but I felt like I had a good camp. And uh, you know, I got the position, won the position, nickel position. I felt like I was having to fight for my position, and I had just got paid. So I'm like, man, okay, cool. I got the position. Let me go out here. I got a ball. You know what I mean? Like this year, I have the ball, or it's over with. So I went into that first game with just 
tons of pressure on my shoulder. And uh, Monday night game, I'm just like, okay, let's go out here. Let's do this. Let's prove them wrong. Let's go out here and uh, show them what you really what you really are. And went out there, man, had a terrible game, probably the worst game of my playing career ever um, that I can remember. And right after, man, I had walked off the field, head down, didn't want to see anybody because literally I lost us the game. And so my locker was in the corner. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking up and I'm just seeing this all eyes. You know what I mean? And guys were hurt. Guys were pissed at me. Every emotion was going on. And I just remember uh, O'Brien just staring at me. And so I look up and I'm just like, oh, man, I'm crying, man. I look like a, a big ass baby. You know what I mean? And I get on the bus and I tell my one of my best friends at the time, because I played with him in Jacksonville, uh, to Sean Gibson. And I was like, bro, they're going to cut me. It's like, they're going to cut me. He's like, bro, chill out. They ain't about to cut you, bro. Like, you talking crazy. I tell another homeboy, mind you, little or die. I said, bro, they about to cut me, bro. I was like, you know, I was kind of saying my, my good riddances. Like, it was a pleasure playing with y'all. And, you know, I hope the best for y'all. And they're like, bro, you talking crazy. You know what I mean? And, uh, like, that next day, I get a call. And it was a Houston number. I'm like, I tell my wife, like, hey, they about to cut me. I get on the phone. And I don't even remember who it was. But he was like, hey, Bill O'Brien and somebody else wants you to come up to the stadium. They want to talk to you, bring your playbook. I'm like, wow, like I just got cut, but I kind of seen it already, man. And I knew that they were looking for a reason to get rid of me. And I think that game just gave them that opportunity. It's crazy. You know, I've, I've, I've tried to tell people before that, you know, whenever you're in the NFL and there's a GM, there's a coaching staff that, that whether you're a free agent or draft pick that, you know, they brought you in, you're part of like their success story, whether this thing goes or doesn't go. But whenever there's a new GM or a new coach that comes in, you're just numbers on a ledger at that point. And you know, all the, you know, it's, it's just, it's tough, man. So that, that's, that's incredibly frustrating. So from there, that puts us at, at Washington. So you spend some time in Washington and obviously going through some stuff there, they're kind of in the middle of a rebuild, and I, I'll just tell you right now, it looks like Rivera's done a hell of a job there with that team. It looks like everyone is kind of bought into to that message and what whatever's going on there behind the scenes. That looks like a tight-knit group that's playing some ball. Yeah, Coach Rivera is a general. So my first year there, I came under Jay Gruden, and I honestly didn't know how much like drama was around that whole – staff and the organization at the time but I mean like I said I had a, a great time there but uh, my second year there which was last year Coach Rivera stepped in and uh, at the time I was a free agent because I had only signed a one year with with the uh, Washington football team and so last year Rivera stepped in and I actually almost signed with him out of free agency so I knew a little bit about him and when he got there, I had talked to him a few times and made the decision to go there. And when I stepped in from day one, he just he ran he runs that organization like a true general, like true boss. You know what I mean? He's accessible, but he's not. So his door is always open, but you come in there with respect and you know who you're talking to. And I just respect who he is as a man. I respect how he moves. I respect how he operates. I respect how he treats everybody like grown men and women. He's very loyal. 
And I think that everybody saw him being consistent, but when everyone saw him kind of overcome his situation with cancer, I think he just won over that whole organization, the whole city. Everybody was just bought in because not once did we see him complain. Not once did we see him talk about himself or have a pity party. So we had no excuse but to come in and work for a man like that. No matter if you was practice squad, which I was last year, no matter if you was Chase Young winning defensive rookie of the year, everyone was treated the same. Everyone came in with a chip on their shoulder because that's how he, that's how he approached it. So, Man, he's about to do big things. I think it's just a couple pieces away from really doing some damage. That's interesting. And you look at some of the decisions he's made, right, with you know him getting rid of Haskins, basically saying, hey, like you, you got to be bought in completely. Like there, there's no being half in in that league. Is that kind of his mentality there in Washington where it's like, hey, you got to be all in for this team and this organization or, or else you're just not going to be part of it? I think so. I think, of course, that is. not. But I think, honestly, every team in the NFL it kind of operates like that to a certain degree. But I would say the, the biggest difference with him is he accepts everyone for who they are. You know, he was in Carolina with Cam. So you remember Cam doing his whole ordeal when he was dabbing and you know, kind of wilding out whenever he scored a touchdown. But he accepts that, and he he allows that to flourish. But I think the biggest thing for him is whatever you are, be consistent with that. Don't be hot and cold. So if you're an energetic guy, bring that every single day. If you're a, a smart player, be smart every time you step on that field and help other people do the same. And I believe that whenever you don't show that your interest level is necessarily where he wants it to be, he's going to cut you off. And um, I can't speak on the Haskins situation. I think he's immature in some ways, but he has crazy talent. But Coach Rivera, he was just, I guess, fed up with him not showing the interest level he wanted every single day. And, uh, I mean, Haskins had to pay for it. Did that rock the locker room? Because that's like a – you you don't see that happen a whole heck of a lot. Um, a move like that made midseason was that a shock to the locker room, or was it one of those things where guys could kind of see the writing on the wall, could see it coming maybe a little bit? Like, what was that like inside that room? Um, yeah, I think there was some confusion just because it was still so early, and and Haskins was such an early pick. And, you know, Alex Smith was kind of going through his thing, his injuries. and uh, We didn't really have any other quarterback on the roster at the time. So we were kind of just like, man, who, who are we about to ride with? But uh, I don't think we ever doubted it, though. I don't think we ever doubted Coach Revere and his decision making. I think we all kind of just said, OK, it is what it is. The offense was kind of struggling at the time. So we knew as a defense we had to step it up even more. And I think we took that as a challenge. Um, we let those decisions be made. And I had already kind of been through a situation like that. So I knew how it worked. And I had deeper empathy for, for Haskins in his situation. So um, I kind of understood how that works. You know, whenever a coaching staff and an organization, like you just said, Haskins didn't get drafted with that organization. So they had no ties to him. And I think he knew that. I think the rest of the team knew that. And 
when they let them go, we just strapped up our boots, grabbed our lunch pail, and said we got to go to work even harder. No, I see. I, I I did want to talk some OU stuff with you, but it it is so fun to kind of hear the ride that you've been on in the NFL <laughs> because it it's I, I think a lot of people don't realize just how up and down it can be. But uh, let's get to some some positive stuff. Like when you think <laughs> back on your career at Oklahoma, what are some of your favorite memories? What, what are some of the things that you're proud of that you were able to do in the Crimson and Cream? I would say some of my, my proudest memories have definitely been just the brotherhood we had, just being around you guys, uh, guys full of life, guys full of energy. We had so many different personalities in that, in that locker room at the time and just to see how it all came together as one and, um, we went out there and fought for each other every day, man. It, it's something that I still yearn for today just because in the NFL, there's guys are here one day and going the next. But in college, you're with these guys for two, three, four years. And um, that was awesome to me, bro. And I missed that. But on the field, I mean, the stuff was cool. The accolades is cool. But the things that I take away from it was just the camaraderie. I, I love being a part of something that's bigger than me. And um, guys like Teddy and some of the other legends that's that's been at OU kind of set the tone for us. And they paved the way for us. And all we had to really do was just maintain it. And um, that was dope, man. That was that was really cool. And to say that I went to OU, it holds weight. You know what I mean? So I, I know I, I made the right decision. And to even be considered uh, a good player at OU means means the world to me. So. Um, I'm appreciative of of OU and, and guys like you and, and my other brothers. They know who they are. You got a favorite moment, favorite game, maybe going on the road or a bowl game or anything that really sticks out as on the field, like one of the, the most fun that you had whenever you were there as a Sooner? Alabama. It's not yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alabama, man. I think it's just because how big of underdogs we were. And um, I mean, personally, for me, I didn't even take the game serious. I just treated it like another game. You know what I mean? I felt like everybody else was making it bigger than what it was. But I knew we could play with them. I knew we had a lot of speed on offense. I knew that quick, quick tempo offense was going was gonna to hurt them a little bit. And I knew on defense, we just had to contain them. And to get that win the way that we did, man, like, you couldn't tell me nothing for like two months. <laughs> <laughs> you, hey, but I, uh, the the one thing that game I and I had a blast down there covering the game. But I think the one thing we all walked away outside of the win was we kind of foresaw the Derrick Henry thing in the NFL after what he had like six or seven touches that night, right? What? Like we ain't even game plan against him. It was really T.J. Yeldon at the time, but when we yeah. saw him, we was like he was like Yo. a third team guy. He had hardly played Yo. that year. And I think they had Alvin Kamara that year, but he didn't even play either, which was crazy. That game was awesome. But I I know that you still keep up with the team. You watch the games as much as you can. It's not it's not easy, right, when you're still playing there in the league. But are, are you enjoying what you're seeing on the defensive side of the ball? Because, I mean, Alex Grinch has got this thing rolling, it appears now, at OU, AC. Yeah, bro. It looks different. It really looked different this past year. And I was excited. That D-line excites me. 
Well, I know we lost Ronnie, uh, but we got a lot of great talent coming back. You know what I mean? And seeing the secondary, you know, I got a I got a soft spot for the secondary, but I just don't want to turn into that old head that's like negative all the time. or like, come on. But I just be wanting the boys to win, man. I want them to go get them one. Lincoln Riley's a beast. But like you said, Coach Grinch, he looks like he's he's setting a tone up there, man. Them boys are playing fast. I'm seeing a little bit of – can I cuss on here? I'm seeing oh, some yeah. shit talking. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm oh, seeing yeah. some shit talking, man. I'm loving it, bro. It's, yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, it's funny. We we came away from, what, that second half of the season, Gabe, and it was – it's the first time in a while we've been like, you know, this offense needs to pick it up and start, uh, start carrying <laughs> yeah. their weight a little bit. It was a little bit – it was like a shock to Sooner the, Nation. The fans – the fans – I don't think they adjusted to it. They're like, wait, like having a great defense is cool, but like, where are all the points? What's happening here? Straight up. <laughs> so, right, what's man. next with you? I, I, um, free agent now, right? What, what's what's this? I know it's a weird year, but has there been anything going on with free agency? Is your agent able to talk to anyone right now? Uh, we got some small things going on right now. Um, I'm contemplating some things, but honestly, it's so early and I haven't played in two years. I actually talked to my agent about it today. So um, I'm having to fight through that stigma of I don't really know what's being said, but I feel like there's a stigma around me that they don't know if I can play anymore. But to those who know, they know. So I'm being patient. Uh, I'm trusting in God with this situation. And um, one of the biggest things or one of my biggest issues is I'm impatient. So I want to know what I'm doing. I want to know when I have to do it so that I can get prepared. But right now uh, I'm kind of just walking in faith, but I know the next, my next opportunity, I'm going to make the most of it. So I'm just getting ready for that situation. But like you said, like the cap spaces are down right now. Organizations aren't really knowing if we're going to have OTAs or not. So there's just a lot of toss up in the air. So I really couldn't tell you. Yeah, definitely an interesting time for any free agent in the league. And AC, I know you got to get to your daddy duties, but <laughs> I do, uh, I do need some advice because my wife's due in June, gonna be a, a dad for the first time. So I need, I need a couple pieces of your best dad advice. Teddy <laughs> gives me some good ones every once in a while, but I need, I need you to give me a couple of your best here. Oh man, I got so many, bro. <laughs> Uh, well, the first and foremost, enjoy it. Like, it's a once in a lifetime, and it goes by so fast, bro. Like, and I know you probably hear that a lot, but it really does. And one minute they're crying and just needing the pampers changed, the next minute they're walking and into everything. So that's the kind of phase I'm in right now. But um, for my wife and I, we don't necessarily see our kids as ours. We just we're the guardians per se. We just, we guide them to where they need to be and to where they need to get to. And we just let them flourish. We try to teach them principles and we go in with morals that we want them to have. But after that, you be who you are. You don't have to play football. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You be who you are and anything you need, any guidance you need, that's who we are. That's how we treat it, bro. I don't know if that can help or not. God, I feel like, 
feel like that's out of like some sort of parenting book. That was beautiful, man. <laughs> Chill, bro. It sounds great. It sounds great. <laughs> amazing. Chill. I'll tell you. Here's it, I mean, I wish my son would he won't come to me for guidance on anything. It doesn't matter <laughs> what it is. He's out to prove that he could do it without my guidance, I think. And maybe he does get that from me actually. I don't know, but yeah, that's fine. Well, AC, this was fun, man. Uh, it's good catching up. I'm incredibly proud of you. You you've put together a really nice career. I know it hasn't gone exactly the way you wanted it to go, but uh, I I don't think you're done yet, bro. Uh, I think you got some gas left in the tank, and we appreciate you joining us, man. This was fun. Yeah, man. I appreciate y'all, bro. Had a great conversation. Much love to y'all. I see y'all doing big things too, man. I'm I'm paying attention. I saw the Kenneth Kenneth Murray one. But, oh, there he got. He's like, still good. He's doing good. Yeah, he's yeah, playing I'm well. There. Yeah, he is, man. I'm proud of him. I've been a fan of him since he was at OU. So yeah. he, I think he's gonna be a beast. What you no, think, I Teddy? Think you the you the linebacker, man? No, I I think he's great. You know the 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 one thing he has is something you can't teach. Is he wants to run to the football nonstop, and that's sure. the hardest thing. Like whenever you go to the NFL, like we all always thought we ran to the ball, right? Until you go to the league. It's a different mm-hmm. level, but that's that's like that's his thing. So I think he'll be fine. Yeah, that's real. All right, boys. This is fun. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you, G. Man, that was that was some insightful stuff from our man Aaron Colvin. It it was really cool to hear him talk about his career like that. I mean, you don't get that from a lot of guys. No. No, he was real, um, kind of talked about the ups and downs that he's been through, um, peaks and valleys, man. That's, that's what it's like in the league. And, uh, he's experienced, uh, a good amount of both. So no, that's, that's fascinating. And I think you may see a little bit different side, uh, for, for our listeners, maybe than you've ever seen before there from, from Colvin. Yeah, I'm not sure. And you know, I, AC was a year younger than me at OU. He, he didn't redshirt though. So we were in the same draft class, went through the entire uh, pre-draft process together, became a lot closer during that time. And, you know, he's a thoughtful guy. He's, he's kind of a deep thinker. Like you, you, you can tell in some of those responses and yeah, it was, it was really cool catching up with him. It had been a while, been too long been too long so that was uh that was a lot of fun for me and he he's so right you know talking about the relationships right the camaraderie mm-hmm. that's still what i miss about football uh, i mean i don't necessarily miss getting hit in the face that much like <laughs> like i but I, I i miss i miss that feeling of being part of something and being with that group of guys and it, it, it was cool to hear him talk about that also. I thought that that was, I thought that was really damn good, man. I thought that was different. No, it was and good. It was. Well, I hope people enjoyed it. Let's move on to our segments, but first, do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers, 
They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Tell them we sent you. And also, if you are a sports fan, you need to call the great people at Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite teams from home this year, which is why you need to get a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio-visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires and cable boxes, so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone, and my internet has been flawless. Flawless, I say. Teddy, can you tell I'm stalling because I forgot to add the phone number to the ad read? (laughs) But I have found it. Call our friends at Sound Advice, 405-549-3880. Or visit soundadviceokc.com. Okay, let's start with the National College Football Roundup. And there's really just one main thing I wanted to talk about, Teddy, and that is the dead period. We've discussed the dead period on here quite a bit, I feel like. And for anyone that doesn't know what the dead period is, essentially it means that recruits can't come to a campus on official or unofficial visits, but it also means that coaches can't go on the road and recruit and see kids in person. The NCAA recruiting dead period is scheduled to expire April 15th. We've talked about that's why you're going to see a bunch of schools scheduling their spring games after that date. However, the football oversight committee has recommended extending the dead period Until May 31st. Now, the D1 Council is going to meet about this this week, and it's not a sure thing that they'll vote on this, but if they do extend the dead period and it'll run all the way through May, Ted, this will really throw a lot of things off for college football teams, including Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, one of the most important things – for a head coach in a program is the schedule. And I'm not talking about the fall football schedule. I'm talking about like your yearly calendar and where everything falls and how you schedule everything and how it all goes together. And, you know, the way they've moved everything, obviously there's ramifications to that. Now, is it the end of the world if they push it back to May 31st? No, but there's some things that you you've done there to, to really try and get the best and most out of your players that you may not be able to, um, you may have to change things a little bit and not exactly sure how that puts you. Here's the one thing I will say though, no matter what, it's going to be better than last year. (laughs) You know, that's, that's about the only thing that that's about the only thing that we could say, is it going to be perfect? Well, maybe not, but it's going to be a hell of a lot better than it was a year ago. Right. So, some people may be wondering, like, okay, what's the big deal? 
if it gets extended again. So the reason I think it is a big deal, and you've seen some people, coaches, uh, recruits, express some frustration is these schools, OU included, have they they have planned their entire offseason programs around that dead period ending on April 15th. So what I mean by that is they've put their spring game late so that recruits can come to it, right? Ho- hoping to get recruits uh, exposed to you know what the program's like, what the environment is like, the stadium, all that stuff, right? So at OU, for example, Benny Wiley and his staff have put together an eight-week program that gradually ramps up their workouts to get players where he and his staff want them to be from a strength and conditioning standpoint, heading into spring practice that would start towards the end of March, right? Well, if the dead period gets extended, that makes them reassess some things. And this is why, because you would bump spring practice a little bit to make sure you could have kids on campus recruits on campus for your spring game, right? So you bump it a little bit. You adjust your strength and conditioning program accordingly. Well, why why would they bump it now if they can't have recruits to the spring game? Like there's no point. So now it would actually shift the way you'd want to approach it Because, Teddy, as you know, people get hurt in spring ball. It it happens. You know, you'll have a guy have an ACL. Uh, You'll have a guy have some sort of shoulder issue where he's got to have shoulder surgery. So if the dead period gets extended, you then are tempted to bump things back up. Because that way, if a guy gets hurt, especially a key player, then he has more time to rehab and be back for the season to play games. And not even necessarily for the season. Like that, That's like the worst-case scenario. But you also want guys that have had bumps, bruises, pulls. You want them back to where when summer workouts start, yep. they are full go to start summer workouts because you want all hands on deck with everyone. So even not even severe injuries, bumps and bruises, you want everyone geared up and ready to go whenever, whether it's June 6th, right there at the beginning of June, whenever they start their off season workouts. Yeah. So now OU is thinking, okay, well, if we bump practices up, we'll hopefully any guys that go down, we'll have them ready for summer workouts or for camp or for whatever. But then that completely disrupts, Benny Wiley's strength and conditioning plan. And it throws off the progression, right? There is a very scientific approach to a lot of these things that OU does and that schools across the country do, right? So it becomes a difficult decision, I think, Ted. Like, okay, do we want to disrupt what we were doing from a strength and conditioning standpoint to start practicing a little earlier if this dead period is going to get extended? Or... Do we just stay the course and hope that 
guys stay healthy during spring practice. Like th- this is a tough decision. Personally, I think they should probably just stay on the strength and conditioning plan and try to get as big and fast and as strong as possible because you do have a bunch of veteran players back, right. That are going to be the key contributors. Now, of course you've got young guys you want to get on the field, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like you had the plan, just stick to it. But yeah, this, th- what I'm trying to say is the dead period getting extended. It, it does mess up a lot of schools plans. It just does. It does. Um, here's one of the things, though. You know, the the spring game big recruiting push is not just an Oklahoma thing. No because doubt. of the new early signing period, that's everyone trying to do it. So I wonder if it's almost better if they push it back and you can schedule like, you know, they have their big recruiting barbecue and some different things. You can do something like that and not have to compete compete with everyone else in the country that's having their big spring game recruiting weekends on those one or two weekends where spring games are happening. I don't know, but um, it sucks that here we are, um, you know, almost halfway into February or we are halfway into February and they don't know concrete what they're going to be doing for their spring football calendar. Yeah. They're kind of used to it, though, after what they yeah. just went through the That's last true. year. That's true. But, yeah, tough choice. We'll see We'll see what they end up doing. Okay, let's move on to our winners and losers of the weekend. But first, Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances, and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And for February's Kitchen Cash-In, all wildcard members that earn 500 points on their wildcard playing every machine's will win an IKO Sapphire Diamond Roasting Pan. I looked it up. This thing is awesome and fancy and nonstick and legit. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the one. Also, go check out our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. And finally, send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. I'm talking to you, Teddy. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid 
is available. All right, Ted, who do you, who, that's not English. Who do you have? That's how you say it, right? Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? Well, I thought about going with J.J. Watt um, as he enters the free agent round in the NFL, the free agency of this season and the trade rumors yeah, of continue. Course. Of course the get- Texans released the face of their franchise for the last well, however many I, years it's been. I feel like they kind of didn't have a choice, but I don't – I mean, the pressure seemed like from him, but I don't know. Uh, it, that's going to be quite the uh, – quite the ongoing process and it's just going to be fun this year i like what the nfl offseason has turned into this year uh, i even thought about going with the sooner ethan downs the freshman on campus i saw a video of him power cleaning like 300 something pounds as a young cat thought that was great but i had to settle gabe on a drunk tom brady at the super bowl parade down in tampa bay is yes. that not the best thing you've ever seen. I mean, he was smashed. He should be. It was, and I saw people, there were a couple people like, what kind of role model is this guy? It's like, listen, <laughs> he can get as drunk as he wants when you win the Super Bowl. Them's the rules, especially when boats are involved. I mean, did you see the guy throw the trophy? It was that, awesome. I'm telling you, when you've won seven of them, he's probably like, it's no big deal. If we drop it in the water, someone will dive down and get it. They'll make us a new one. Who cares? Let's toss this thing. But that picture of him when it's in the air and he's like that and everyone's like freaking out, that was so awesome. <laughs> there were there were some people that thought maybe he was uh, faking. And he, I, I, I'm not one of those people. I think my man was drunk as a skunk. But his Twitter game was strong. I don't know if he runs his Twitter, if he has a team that runs it. I'm sure he's got a team. But that tweet he threw out was, uh, what was it, like nothing to see her? (laughs) Just a little avocado tequila or whatever it was? No, I mean, I don't know that he was tweeting that out. But I know that he definitely had to get walked out of there. And I've seen that walk before and maybe I've even been on the receiving end of uh, someone having to walk me out. I've seen that before and he was not faking that. He almost looked like weekend at Bernie's where he just had the look on his face and was just like bouncing out of there. (laughs) Was that the, it it may have been like the most relatable thing I've ever seen from Tom Brady, where we all saw that we were like, Hey, we've all been there. Look at that guy. He's just like us. I agree. The kicker is, is I think he had two like uh, beers probably. And that just like sent him over the edge. He only drinks like 10 gallons of water a day. has like this perfect diet. You introduce anything out of the ordinary into the mix, Gabe, and it's catastrophic. The equilibrium was, uh, (laughs) it, it was a little off. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? The loser of the weekend is the 14 playoff because when there's one guy out there, whenever he speaks, it usually means something. And that was Nicholas Saban on Rich Eisen's show. Whenever he said that he told everyone in the beginning, whenever they wanted to go to the 14 playoff, that it's going to diminish the bowl season. And he says, it's done exactly that. And he starts saying, well, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know if, a playoff 
and the current bowl system can coexist. So you've got to have like used to people would have their bowl games and uh, you know, their parents and, and relatives and everyone would come to the bowl games and it was a huge deal. But now all of the attention in the sport is put solely on the playoff and the bowls are no longer a big deal. And I, I think that that is totally true. And um, when he says, can they coexist? That means to me that if you're going to make those games a bigger deal, there has to be more teams in the playoff. So he usually doesn't say stuff like that for no reason. Yeah. And you mentioned it. People usually play, uh, pay pretty close attention to what that man says. Right. Well, and you know, he tries to, I would do the same thing. Like if I'm sitting around talking to the powers that be, and they're talking about extending the playoff, I'd go out and talk about it and try and look really smart too. And act like I predicted the whole thing whenever I was just talking to the other people that said it was going to happen, you know? So there's probably some of that going on too. If the playoff expands to eight, it, it almost feels like Alabama will make it every year. Now, I well, know they already make it every year, but like even if they slip up one year, they'll still make it, right? I mean, and, 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 that's and in that really, large spot. That's him saying that, you know, maybe we don't make it on a, a year or two because of the SEC playoff or, or whatever. But if it's expanded, I know my team and I know how well we are, how well coached we are and how good we are at the end of the year. Even if we've got two losses, three, who knows what it is, still have a chance for a championship. Yeah. So. Yeah. Not a coincidence. Here's the other thing too. And we talked about this early on, kind of with what we saw last year. If the, the more you see the stars bailing and not going to bowl games, the, the potential first round picks, they're going to expand the playoff because people want to see them hang around and play. And you got to have a reason to keep those guys from going to the draft and play that one or two extra games. Yep. It's, it's happening. Expansion's inevitable. We'll just, it'll just be interesting to see how long it takes. What 2025 is that TV deal? I think 2025. I mean, I think, I think that's right, but I think it'll be up before that. Um, I mean, it definitely, definitely will happen in 25, but I think there's a chance it could happen pretty way sooner. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, my winner of the weekend thought about going with Trevor Lawrence because turns out that guy can uh, still absolutely rip it even with a bad non-throwing shoulder there, Ted. He, he certainly didn't hurt himself at all with the performance he put on there for uh, NFL talent evaluators. But I also thought, and this one – Sounds kind of weird, but I also thought about going with Chris Doyle for my winner of the weekend because now I know there was an absolute media shitstorm about him being hired and he ends up resigning, but I'm pretty sure him sending in his resignation saved himself from getting his ass kicked there in Jacksonville because there was no way when he's been doing it his way for that long that he was going to adjust his style and that would have led to some very large human beings uh, being very angry at him. And he probably would have ended up unconscious at some point. So I was like, you know what? Maybe he is a winner. But then I was like, no, I can't do that. He probably but, walked away with some cash too. Yeah. Which, for doing nothing. 
and remember, Iowa paid him what one point one million to go away. So yeah, I mean, he's he's good at getting money for going away. But the winner of the weekend, it it's got to be OU basketball. I mean, when you talk about a big time road win, they go to Morgantown, they beat West Virginia in double overtime, ninety one ninety, and frankly, I thought it was one of the best college basketball games of the season. Like in all of college basketball, not just the Big Twelve. You looked at that game, especially late, right? About you know five and a half, six minutes to go, and it looked like OU was going to create some separation, right? Had that, I think it was about nine point lead at that point in time, and then Sean McNeil, who has been known to do this for West Virginia every once in a while, just goes absolutely berserk, dropping them from the rafters. I mean, that that one went out of the frame, like it went out (laughs) of the shot. It was. I mean, it, it was really impressive, but uh, I thought Brady Manick did some really good things, hit some big shots from three. Uh, he was battling there with Derek Culver. Now, Culver certainly got his, and he was really good in that second overtime. He ended up with, with 29, but it, it comes down to having to make big plays late in that second overtime in Austin Reeves. He goes right at Miles McBride who I think is one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball, but hits him with that move, hits the floater right over him, which ends up being the game winner. But <laughs> that finish, I mean, you talk about a nerve-wracking oh finish. Oh, my God, what a scramble. I, and the, the jump ball was annoying enough. I, I still – the possession arrow is so stupid. I, I have no idea how that is still a thing in college basketball. But they get they get the ball back, right, and then – Culver had a couple of different chances at the rim, maybe panicked a little too much, was wide open on that last one. But that's a hell of a win for Long Kruger's boys on the road. They've won seven of eight now, and that was an impressive one. That was a tough, hard-fought win on the road late in conference play. Like That that was big time. I, I thought it was huge. You got some some really nice play out of – I mean, that's the one thing that – I've really been impressed with, with this roster is it's not the same exact guy every night. Now Reeves is going to control the ball for the most part. He's the guy that's going to get to the foul line and he's always going to be up there and scoring. And usually you're leading score score, but whether it's Harkless or Hill or, I mean, I thought Gibson was fantastic. So you're always getting, that guy can shoot the hell out of the ball. He can, man. He really can. Uh, even Kirkweth getting a, a defensive play late that was huge in in a you know critical area of the basketball game. It's just it's a lot of fun, man. And I'll tell you, this is a group, Gabe, that you know myself included. I'm really talking to myself here. Maybe didn't give them much of a chance to accomplish a whole lot this year. But you look around with, without some of the perennial big dogs up there at the top. I mean. Sweet 16 type of basketball team, Elite Eight, depending on a draw type of basketball team. Um, there's the tournaments, they're fun, man. It's all about matchups, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about matchups. And I, I thought it, it said a lot after this game when Long Kruger said that he, felt like, he feels like this is his most improved group in his coaching career. And he wasn't talking about it just his stop at OU. Like he was talking about right. all what nearly 40 years 
that he's been coaching. I I don't think that was hyperbole. I think he he's he's thought about this and I think it says a lot about this team. You're right. They're fun to watch. They're fun to watch. I will say one thing about that broadcast. Do you know Chris Spatola at all? I interview him quite a bit over on Sirius. He does some stuff with us, or he does a, a show on the ACC channel. The noises he was making during that broadcast, I, it was so. It was like, I, it was so relatable because I was making the same noises as I was watching. Like, oh yeah, like he was just, he was all over the place on the broadcast. I loved it. I had to watch. Um... Because I was traveling, I had to watch like the the chopped up version, you know, that's it's essentially like a really long highlight uh, reel that's put together. But in, because they cut so much in it, there was a bunch of different cuts of him going, oh, eh, oh, ooh. like, oh, <laughs> nice. Like it was I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was hilarious. I'll tell you, though, I mean, that that game is for people that don't like college basketball because there's no shot making and it feels like a lot of time there's, there's no action. That game had a lot of great shot making guys getting to the rim, step back threes, moon shots over the rafters. I mean, that, that game kind of had everything. I immediately thought of you when, what was it? The first overtime when Reeves put that, Three up. I was like, oh, Teddy's going to like that one. <laughs> uh, OU Texas, 8 p.m. Tuesday, ESPN. So that'll be uh, that'll be another big one. Now my loser of the weekend. I'm going to go with Mario Cristobal here, Ted, because Tyler Shuck announced that he will be transferring from Oregon this weekend. And this guy that started every game at quarterback for Oregon last year. He's going to be a grad transfer, still going to have three years of eligibility. I don't, I don't know how that works, but good for him. Now, it, he wasn't amazing, right, especially down the stretch for Oregon. They had that really rough stretch to end the year, and he even ended up splitting time in the Pac-12 championship game and in the Fiesta Bowl with a guy named Anthony Brown. But still, this kid, he was highly recruited. He's got a lot of talent. And the Anthony Brown kid, he will be back. And I also think they they signed a four-star QB in their latest recruiting class. But if you're Mario Cristobal, I, I feel like you're the loser of the weekend because you have to find a way to keep shut. you got to find a way to keep him there and create a quarterback competition. And that hopefully leads to both guys staying and it elevates – both of their level of play because they're competing. And it, you also get depth at the position. And I look at this situation, Ted, and it makes me appreciate what Lincoln Riley has been able to do with some of those quarterback battles because you've got a guy leaving, just started every game for you last season, and Tyler shut that. I mean, you you couldn't even get to spring practice with the Mario Cristobal. What are we doing? Yeah, it's it's crazy, you know. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe I'm missing something, but I thought it was I thought it was really odd. Yeah, I, you've got to do everything in your power to keep him there. And you know, Lincoln has done a good job at that with bringing guys in and keeping guys on roster to to hang around to be backups, but you know, we, the guy we were just talking about Nick Saban, 
I feel like one of the most underrated coaching jobs that he ever did was keep Jalen Hurts at Alabama after he lost his job. Remember, he 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 would never name Tua the outright starter. He would never say that he straight up took uh, Jalen Hurts' job. Remember the uh, Maria Taylor where he – I think it was her where he's like, you guys keep trying to get me to say something bad about the other guy, but I'm not going to do it. So stop asking. Like that whole deal was all about keeping Jalen Hurts there. And, you know, they made the playoff because Tua goes down and Jalen comes in and wins them the, the SEC championship game. And you could make the case that if, if Nick hadn't fought his butt off every week to keep him there, that that wouldn't happen. So, You've always got to keep those guys on your roster. I guarantee you, Gabe, that there's going to be a time this year that Anthony Brown goes down and they're not going to have anyone there to, to save their tail. They're going to put a true freshman in and go, oh, yeah, it would have been nice to have right. Shuck here, which I still don't understand, and I, I looked it up again. The guy's last name is spelled S-H-O-U-G-H, and you pronounce it Shuck. I don't know how the hell that, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. I have no idea, but you know what? I'll pronounce it correctly because that's the right thing to do. One honorable mention for loser of the weekend, Ted. Giannis in the book in the Bucks. They just came to OKC in the blizzard and got that work. No SGA, no problem. Thunder 114, Milwaukee 109. Let's go. Just happened. Just wrapped up as we're finishing up recorded recording. What a big win for the Thunder. They just championship DNA, maybe not championship, but certainly winning culture in Oklahoma City. They just they just don't know how to be terrible. It's just can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can you imagine leaving Milwaukee and flying uh 5 hours south and getting out of the plane and it's negative 20 degree wind chill outside? It's like this is not supposed to work like this. Nuts. That's probably why they lost. Losers. Yeah. Way to go, Thunder. <laughs> Justin Jackson, shout out to that guy. 22 points tonight. Well done. Well done. On that note, let's go, Thunder. The Bucks stink. Episode 86 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Please stay warm. Don't leave your dogs outside. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's way too cold. Take care of those pups. Okay. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
just one more time.